All right, good to be out this evening, and indeed, whatever my God ordains is right, and we will see that, Lord willing, tonight as we continue on in the life of David here in Second Samuel, and we'll ask God's blessing upon His Word. Father, we do pray for Your will to be done, and Lord, as each man that gets up here always confesses their sinfulness and their uh, inability to speak, Lord, and the fear of being here. And Lord, uh, I'm no different uh, than they in that aspect, that aspect of, of not being worthy. But Lord, I have a worthy word in front of me, and I pray that you'll be honored in it. And I pray, Lord, that as we've sang tonight about behold our God, I pray that we'll behold you tonight as we hopefully see you as you truly are. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, now we just pray your blessings upon your word. In Christ's name, amen. If you will, turn to Second Samuel chapter 13, and we'll pick up here in verse 21. 2 Samuel 13, verse 21. It says, But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. Now this is after Amnon has violated his half-sister Tamar. And David finds out about it, and he's upset. And Amnon spake unto his brother Amnon, or Abs and Ab Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon, because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full, year, two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in ba Baal uh, Hazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now thy servant hath sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all go, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. 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 Uh, and the servants that Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man gat him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tare his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, and Amnon for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. So we see in two places there the reason that he killed him. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart, 
to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come. As thy servant said, so it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of speaking, that, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. So tonight I want to look at this, and I've looked at it as, or titled as, uh, The Consequences of Sin. You know, I, I mentioned before about uh, uh, a guy that I knew back in my hometown that was in Vietnam, and was, was in a helicopter crash, and the helicopter went down, and he was the only survivor. And he would have flashbacks on this, especially if he was drinking, uh, and he would want to fight any and everybody. But these flashbacks would come to him. You know, I believe David here is having flashbacks uh, in this chapter. Nathan's words are coming back to him and reminding David of his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah. And you know, Hosea says, uh, "So the wind reaped the whirlwind." So you know, if you if you worship idols, if you uh, you'll reap what idols can produce. So whatever you do, if you whatever we reap, we're going to sow from that. And David is seeing some of this, and will continue to see this throughout his life. But uh, but what I want to look at is that there's consequences for our actions. You know, sowing a life of uh, taking drugs or uh, drinking uh, uh, alcohol in excess. You know, it can ruin your life. It, it can kill your dreams and your ambitions. Uh, and it can also have an impact on your children. And we're going to see how David's sin with Bathsheba has a big impact on his family and continues, you know, throughout his life having an impact. You know, sometimes a father, uh, maybe a, a drunken father, will, will get in the car with his family and his children. They have a car accident. He survives it. His wife's killed, and his kids are, are busted up real bad. And And those will be consequences of his actions and perhaps they have uh, scars perhaps burns uh, perhaps uh, crippled something like that but you know yes the Lord can and does save people like me listed there in First Corinthians 6 and as he says as such were some of you and what a blessing that is but it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any consequences for our actions in this life you know uh, uh, I've known people that have smoked for years and years and years and they end up with lung cancer. I know people that have drank for years and years and years in excess and they end up with cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, there's consequences for all of our actions. But, you know, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, well, that was before I was saved. But, you know, there's still earthly consequences for our actions. You know, David was a, was a, was a child of God, a man of God, uh, but there's consequences for his actions. So the blessings of our sins being forgiven and that of having eternal life, that's true. But like I said, there are earthly consequences that may still happen. Uh, and, you know, probably the best example of that is the thief on the cross, you know? Yeah, 
uh, what a blessing to be saved in that last hour but he was still crucified uh, in uh, Proverbs 11 it says that uh, he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind you know David has, tr has troubled his house and the re results are, are not good uh, you know Ecclesiastes talks about what profit have the he that laboreth uh, for the wind just speaking about the wind or speaking about vanity you know I've known people that have made lots of money and they've gambled and almost gone into bankruptcy over that over what over their pleasures uh, and they and what do they leave what kind of inheritance do they leave their children just the wind just the wind that's it nothing else but if you will turn back to second Samuel chapter 12 I want to read this and this is what I call the flashback right here for David I think he's going to see this over and over in verse 10 it says now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house why because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife thus saith the Lord behold I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Like I said, David is a child of God, but uh, from this point on, David walked with a moral limp. You know, it was it was always there. You'll see somebody's been in a car accident, how they always, David had that. David had that moral limp because of this very action here. So we see that Amnon has violated his half-sister Tamar, that was David's only lamb, I believe. And he's killed Tamar's dreams of a wonderful future with a wonderful, uh, uh, married to a wonderful man, raising a large family. He's taken all that away. And then Amnon, you remember, he just threw Tamar out like she was a leper. You know, get out of here. Unclean, unclean. So uh, Absalom, he takes Tamar into his own house. And she lives there desolate, is what we saw the last time we were together. You know, now, you have to think about Absalom seeing Tamar every day in his house and what Amnon has done to her. And this hatred is building up and building up, and he's constantly reminded of what Amnon has done to his sister. And he hates him to a point to where it's almost like a cancer. It's eating him up. Then David learns... Like I said, David had learned of Amnon's violating Tamar, and he's very upset, very upset. You remember when David's gotten upset before? The most recent one is when he got he got upset about the man that sold the other man's, the poor man's, the rich man that stole the, the poor man's only lamb. David was upset. He wants the man killed. Nathan says, David, you're the man. And if you remember uh, before that, there was... Uh, uh, when David sent to um, to uh, Hanan uh, or Hanan uh, after the death of his father Nahash, and Hanan uh, uh, mistreated David's men. Remember, cut half, cut their beard half off, and uh, and cut their garments off up to their buttocks, uh, and insulted. David said, "Hey, what do you say?" He said, "Lock and load." He said, "We're going after him." You know, and that happened before. Remember when uh, when when David's men were out there protecting uh, Nabal's flocks all that time, and and 
and they were protected while those men were around there. And you know, a festive time is like when, uh, you know, when are people most festive? And I think I've brought this up before, you know. And old times, we don't have it today, but old times it was Friday when you got your paycheck, you know. If you were going to sell cookies for the, for the candy for the school fund or something, you'd go to the bank and you'd stand outside there and people would buy the stuff. It was a festive time. Uh, when I bailed hay, uh, the farmer was very generous. When we went to bail the hay, one of them was, and, and paid us very well because he was going to get a big paycheck off all the hay that we were bringing in. So this is a festive time that's going on here with the sheep shearing. You know, they're going to make money. And Nabal was a rich man anyway. And remember, he, he, uh, he wouldn't give him anything. And he, he, uh, he, he says, who's David? just another runaway renegade you know and David took offense I said hey we'll go kill every one of those men every single one of them if it wasn't for Abigail he would have but so what does David do here in this situation in chapter 13 you know what he does nothing nothing at all these other times he got real upset well he got upset this time but that's all he did. He got upset. So this is this is not good. You know, he doesn't he doesn't execute Amnon uh, for for this event uh, for his actions. He doesn't force him to marry Tamar. He does nothing. You know, doing nothing can lead to other problems. You know, sounds like you know the lack of discipline. You know, in churches we saw we've studied that about how there in First Corinthians, the lack of discipline there. And, and oh, you're living with who? Your father's uh, wife, your stepmother, and, and all the church thinks it's great and wonderful and open to it? Uh, Paul said, no, no. But you know, we see that not only in the church, we see that in the home, we see that in society many times the lack of discipline and and it leads to bigger problems but anyway for two years people have been saying hey look what goes on in David's house upcoming prince you know he can do this he can violate his half sister and David doesn't do anything about it you know it's almost like chasing a guilty person to the city of uh, refuge and you got the elders there that are going to they're going to take care of matters. They're going to make a judgment call on this. And you go there, and the guy's as guilty as he can be. And they said, <laughs> you know, he's related to somebody or, or uh, you know, we're just going to sweep this under the rug. Happens a lot. Happens a lot. Happens today. You know, you let somebody go scot-free. And that's the way this seemed to be, you know. And what caused, you know, you know, causes the name of God to be blasphemed. Oh, you see what goes on at church over there? Oh, you see what David allowed his son to do? Then if he can do it, you know, just because he's the king's uh, son, uh, I mean, yeah, the king's son and, the, and the, actually the upcoming prince looks like he can do whatever he wants. You know, and even worse than that, that happening is the fact that many times you take the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the person that has committed the crime and you make them the victim. Oh, this poor guy, somebody's falsely accusing him but at any rate 
what should David have done after his sin with Bathsheba? You know, I had a, uh, still have uh, a friend that used to run a, a boys' home, and and they could be trying. And one day he got upset with him, and he cursed, and he went back to him. He said, "Boys, let me tell you something." He said, "I'm repenting. I ask your apology." He said, but "I'm going to tell you one thing right now." He said. If you do what I did, he said, you're going to be punished for it. He said, and that's just the way it's going to be. And that's the way it has to be. You know, perhaps sometimes we feel like, well, I, I did it. So, you know, I really can't say much to my kids for, for doing the same thing I did. I'll be a hypocrite there. No, no, we still have an obligation to, to, to raise them right. And David had an obligation here uh, to take care of this matter with Amnon and Tamar. But, you know, in this situation, it appears that that everything was normal between Amnon and Absalom. I've heard, uh, I've heard preachers say that, well, Amnon was next in line, and he was the only thing that was between him, and him, uh, between him and Absalom being the king. So he probably had thoughts there of trying to knock him off. That's not what it says in here. It says here in two places that he hated him because of what he did to his sister. I think it's 22 and... Uh, and 32 uh, so I mean that's all I can go off of maybe there was more to it but from what I see there this is what it says is why he hated him but like I said it seemed like before this everything was normal you know it doesn't seem like there was any bitterness or any envy or jealousy here at all but now for two years Absalom has planned to kill Amnon for what he's done to his sister Tamar what do you call that what do you call that when you plan something? Premeditated. This was a premeditated action on his part. So anyway, Absalom says, you know, and they had sheep shearing. didn't happen just once every two years. It's happened several times, but for whatever reason, he was waiting. Absalom had planned this. He was waiting for the opportunity to kill him. He says, this is the perfect time to do it. And he goes to Dave and he says, hey, Dad, uh, I, I want to have a big sheep shearing he said I've got sheep shears which means I got sheep to shear I've hired these people to come in and shear these sheep and I got money coming in and I want to celebrate with everybody and to me it looks like David's saying hey that's going to be costly you know bring all these people in and everything Are you sure you want to do that and he said yeah I want to do it uh, that's what I want to do and David said well I, I can't go but uh, you know go ahead if you want if you want to take on that uh, and he says, I want Amnon there. Now, you'd have, have to think, after two years, David knows something's going on between the two of them. And David says, why do you want Amnon there? Oh, Dad, you know, we haven't spoken for a while. We, I just want to kind of bury the hatchet, you know, just let bygones be bygone. Uh, so perhaps that's, you know, uh, that's how he did that. But anyway, he invites everybody there, and uh, they all show up. Now, as I was said there, Absalom doesn't care what it's going to cost to kill Amnon. And it made me think about Proverbs 6. It says, He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou giveth many gifts. You know, you, you steal somebody's wife or uh, commit adultery with somebody's wife. It says, He'll not accept any gift. Nothing. And that's the cost that, that uh, Absalom was willing to pay. I don't care what it costs. If I'm down to my last sheep piece of wool you know 
I want this man dead, and whatever it costs, I want it to happen. He just wants to see that he is dead. So Absalom commands his servants. He says, hey, that when David is drunk, he said, I'm going to give you a commandment, and then you kill him. When I say kill him, kill him. I guess a question there would come up. How did Absalom know Amnon would come? How did he know that Amnon would get drunk? Maybe that was Amnon's reputation. Never miss a party? Always drunk? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, he comes. Absalom tells his servants not to worry about any repercussions because I told you to do it. I commanded you to do it. What? What? You know, I have to look at this and I say, oh, what chapter are we in? Are we in chapter 11? Are we in chapter 13? It almost sounds like chapter 11. When David says, hey, Joab, you know, I'm going to, you know, he brings um, Uriah back. And then when he gets him drunk, seems to be a common thing. And even drunk, Uriah had more character uh than to do something that he didn't uh, think was right. And yet, David goes on to the next step, and he says, hey, you go ahead and kill him. Put him out there in a battle, pull back from him, and kill him. So we see here the correlations back and forth. And what does David say? David says, when Uriah is killed, he says, hey, that's, that's just... That's just part of war, you know. I mean, the fact that he was killed, that's just, that's the way it goes, you know. Um, and that's just what happens. And that's almost what he's saying here is, hey, don't worry about him being killed. I told you to do it. And that's what David did with Joab. But at this point, it's, hey, turn out the lights. The party's over. They've killed uh, Amnon. And what's it say? It said all the king's sons got on their mules and fled they all take off now just for the sake of understanding because I have heard people say why would somebody get on a mule and go you know just bouncing out of there because a mule is fast if you've ever seen a mule run you talked about gun smoke what did Festus ride <laughs> Festus had a mule you know and in the hill country, there's nothing better. A mule is very stable in that rough terrain. And they are fast. Now, they're not going to you know, beat your... They're not going to be in a, a, a Kentucky Derby, that type of thing, or in, in a hundred yards or whatever. But they are fast, and they're very stable. So they all get on their mules, and they take off. Now, I'm going to ask you... What is the speed of light? Does anybody know what the speed of light is? What is it? Yeah. So you got the speed of light, and then you got the speed of bad news. How fast is that? It's faster. It, I guarantee it's faster. It travels a whole lot faster than that. And then, you know, you got the, the speed of the truth or the speed of uh, good news. It's a lot slower than that. But... David gets word that all his sons are dead. David tear, tears his garments and all his servants, they stand there around with their garments all torn. You know, and what do we do? What, what do we do when we have situations like that? You know, 
we, we wear this black, you know, and that this is our mourning sign when we go to uh, a funeral, a funeral home. Everybody normally wears uh, black apparel. You know, back then they would tear their garments uh, as a sign of their uh, mourning. So we see that, but you have to wonder what is going on in David's mind. Is David singing, whatever my God ordains is right? Kind of tough. It's kind of tough at this point. You know, Randy just spoke recently on Psalms 127 about building families. You know, in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, God told David he would make him a house. He'd make him a heritage. And now he hears that his whole heritage is wiped out. What do you think is going on in David's mind at that point? You know, God, I, I don't understand. You, you, you told me this, and now this happens? But, you know, all the sons weren't dead. They weren't resurrected. They weren't kept from that knife going in to Isaac. They were still alive. And we see here that whatever God ordains is right. He's going to keep what he says. If he tells you something, you can bank on it. It's going to happen. There may be clouds that come in front of that picture, and you may not be able to see that picture. doesn't matter if you can't see it. God's still in control of it. But not long after that, here comes Jonadab. You remember I told you he was the Facebook guy that kept up with everything, all the details, and always wanted to be the first to know and the first to tell. He comes and says, Hey, David, all, all your sons aren't dead. He says, Only Amnon. Absalom has had his plan for two years now, since the very moment that Tamar was violated. Now, this is a risky thing to do. I mean, if you start thinking about this, it's kind of like the Amalekite that came and, and told David that Saul was dead and, and uh, that he killed him and here's the crown. Oh, you think you're going to get a prize for that? I got a prize for you. Take his head off, you know, run the sword through him. So I think it was a risky thing for Jonadab to do. But he says, hey, they're not all dead, only Amnon. We see here that everybody starts coming home. All the sons start coming in. And what does Jonadab say? He said, see, just like I said, just like I said, almost like I'm a prophet, you know. Uh, uh, I knew this was coming and you know, how he knew before everybody else. I don't think that he was there. But uh, at any rate, he, he, he hit this one on the head. But, uh, and uh, what happens with Absalom? He runs off to his grandpa-in-law's house in Gesher. He stays there for three years. Now, in this, what I'd like for us to see, not only is there consequences... But I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, uh, grace does not run in the blood, but corruption does. You know, the, the line from Adam to Christ was filled with sinful men. But you know what? That did not hinder God's purposes at all. Not one little bit. You know, it was a very dark light up until the time, till the coming of 
Jesus Christ uh, being a very bright light, being the perfect light, the trail of sinful men only showed that the sinless, perfect, uh, perfect righteousness that was much more glorious. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about that. It talks about Christ being greater than, than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than all. What a, what a wonderful thing. So I guess I'll ask, how do we view God? How do we view him? You know, Isaiah 6, we talk about something that hits home. When you read Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah there, when he had a glimpse of God sitting on his throne, and that throne was filled with the glory of God. And what are the angels doing? They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. So what is our view of God? What is our view of ourselves? You know, Absalom, he was quick to see Amnon's faults. He was quick to see his dad's faults, David. And we'll even see more of this rebellion uh, uh, with his father. But Isaiah is standing in the presence of God's glory. And what's he overwhelmed with? He's overwhelmed with how unworthy he is to be in such a place and to see such things. Isaiah's burning inside of how great a sinner he is and that he deserves to die because of his sin. Isaiah's lips revealed his heart. Hearing the Lord praised by the seraphims, Isaiah knew how unworthy he was and also how unworthy all of humanity is. So make no mistake, David did nothing about Amnon's sin. Yet you can mark this down. When Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, returns at that last day, the wrath of God will come upon those who will not repent. He'll not let nothing slide. Nothing. And as I you know, thought about that song uh, that uh, we didn't have on the, on the projector back there, that Christ receiveth sinful men, even me, with all my sin, what a blessing that is. And for those that are outside of Christ, you need a glimpse of who God is and ask him to give you a glimpse of who you are and run to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray your blessings upon it. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to see you who you are and how unworthy we are. Lord, myself in particular, I speak, and I'm sure most of the others do as well. Lord, for those that are outside of Christ, Lord, I pray that you'll save their souls. And we'll just thank you for being the great and wonderful, merciful God that you are. In Christ's name, amen.